0: <laughs> uh, Wayne already touched on the theme of New Year's Resolutions when uh, was leading us in communion and I will start off on that note as well. As I'm sure you know, there are millions of people around the world making New Year's Resolutions hoping that the resolution will spark some kind of positive change in their lives. And every year, there are certain common themes in the New Year's Resolutions that keep on becoming better. The ten most common New Year's resolutions are these exercise more, lose weight,
1: get organized,
0: learn a new skill or a hobby, live life to the fullest, save more money, quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, travel more and read more. Why do people make New Year's resolutions? The answer is easy. It's because we know that there is something that isn't going so well in our lives. There's an area in our life where we could do better, or where we need to do better, or there was something yes. last year that didn't go well and we wanted to go better this year. So the question two is, why don't we keep on doing these resolutions? That answer is also quite easy, I
1: think. People will give you lots of
0: excuses and reasons and justifications why they are their New Year's resolutions. But I think it's because deep down, we're all lazy. We might think the resolution is a good idea, but actually, we'd rather just go on living with the thing that wasn't so great instead of putting in the effort to fix the thing. And so when someone talks about New Year's resolutions, Most of us roll our eyes. We make fun of them. We maybe make predictions about how quickly they'll stay in their resolution keeping. Or believe just like you do in your own mouth, you realize you're preaching about New Year's resolutions. Turn with me in your mind to John 10 verse 10. Satisfying life. Who doesn't want to live a life that is marked with contentment and joy? But the problem that I see is that for very many past followers, they will not live in an abundant life. They're not living a life where they feel fulfillment or satisfaction and and enjoy in their lives. Now, let me just get one thing clear here. When I talk about having a life of contentment or a life of abundance, I'm not talking about the kind of life where you always get the parking closest to the church door on the sun. The kind of life where the dog never vomits in your kitchen. The kind of life where your children wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning with a smile on their faces. The kind of life that never a traffic jam on the ends of life. And the kind of life it never rains on the days before you looks for us. Jesus said very clearly in John 16 verse 33, In the world, you will have trouble. And so, if every second of your life doesn't look like an Instagram worthy photo opportunity, it doesn't mean that your life isn't good
1: and it doesn't. doesn't mean
0: that god isn't right. when we think about an abundant life i think about what else jesus said in john's verse 10 where he said in me you will have peace take heart i have overcome An overcoming attitude in your life. J. Paul Getty, who at the time he said this was probably the richest man in the world, said, I hate and regret the failure of my marriages. I would gladly give all my millions for just one lasting marital success. He possessed the money to live whatever lifestyle that can the most satisfaction, but at the end of his life, he came to realize that a good, enduring marriage <coughs> meant more to him than riches. He died feeling like a failure at the thing that had the most in his life. King Solomon lived a similar life, a life of wealth and power and privilege if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it chronicles his lifelong well experimenting with different lifestyles, different projects, different possessions, different hobbies, and all the creature comforts he could find. But sadly, when read Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, Solomon says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Here's the actual points of what I want to talk about. It's not really about numerous resolutions, although you'll see why it's linked. But as I said earlier, it breaks my heart when I see Christ followers still living like Solomon and J. Paul Living a life where you have everything in Christ available to you, and still living a less than $100. Dollars. And I don't mean that they have less money less stuff, less cars, less trips to the sea, or less man clothes and shoes. But I mean having less joy, less strength, less peace, and less victory in our lives. Do you know anyone like that? Do you feel like that? Do you feel that life is just passing you by? Life is something that happens to other people. You keep being served for crimes, and this amounts from the feast. There are three reasons why we face difficulties and have a lack of fulfillment in our lives. Sometimes when we suffer, it is nothing less than an attack from the devil. He hates the people of God. It's not soft shoe around it. He hates us. And he will do anything he can to steal our peace and our joy. Secondly, some of our troubles come from the fact that we live in a fallen world. As our representative Adam's sin brought about the potential of suffering for every single person on earth. One answer that I read Red said not only did Adam and Eve die that day, but all creation was given an expiration date. And the third reason is that difficulties in our life happen as a consequence of our personal sin. You may have noticed how Christians love to blame the stuff that goes on in their lives on the first two things. The devil and the world are to blame for everything. But we like to pretend that the third thing isn't there or it doesn't apply to us. Or my favorite is when people say there's only a thing in the Old Testament. I want to suggest to us today that maybe those areas in our lives where things are not going well. Where we fight the same <coughs> part over and over again, and the thing never sorts itself out. That one door in your heart that you don't want to open, because you know what I think is hiding there. That one relationship in your life that is just always rocky. There's always a fight, there's always an argument. Maybe we have some personal responsibility for dealing with that thing. Scripture tells us that when Jesus came to this earth as our savior, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. But some of us prefer the darkness. The shadows are nice to hide in. You see, light reveals not just beautiful things, but also ugly things. And if you stay in the shadows, you can ignore the parts of your life that actually would make you spoil if they came out. Again, let me be very clear. I'm sorry, I'm going to take a bit of time on this because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. We cannot save ourselves from sin. Only Jesus can do it. And we cannot stop sinning in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit for that. If we sin as Christ followers, we do not lose our salvation. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in Christ, God has forgiven us our iniquities. Jeremiah 31 verse 34 tells us, our sins, he will be no more than wonderful. So then how can I say that we need to
1: responsibility
0: or how we live our lives. Many of you have probably heard things like, it's okay if we sin because we can't be perfect beside Or, God knows I can't stop sinning because we live in a fallen world and we sin all around us. Long Graham says this, we must have ever care as yes, a reflect and misunderstanding of God's grace. Rather than seeing sin as an awful problem and appreciating God's grace against that background, it is possible to misunderstand and see God's grace as an easy solution against which we use sin as nothing to worry about. To illustrate, a man may continually mistreat his wife, and when his friend reproves him for it, the man might say, It doesn't seem to worry my wife as much as it worries you. She always forgives me. If she hated what I do to her all that much, then she wouldn't keep on forgiving me, would she? We can easily see that such a man does not understand mercy, forgiveness, nor the depth of love and grace behind the forgiveness. When I read that, I had to ask myself do we treat God the way that husband treats his wife? And I knew you have maybe heard of a Bible teacher called Bonnie he has the same many teachers, if you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Can we be perfect this side of everything? No. Do our sins make God stop loving us? Force Will we still sin after we become Christ followers? Sadly, yes, we will. Should we still sin as believers? At the risk of stepping on both your toes and mine, I'm going to say that we shouldn't. Let me tell you just two scriptural reasons why I'm prepared to risk making such a bold statement. In John that Jesus speaks to a woman caught in adultery, and when he's finished speaking to her, he says, go and sin no more. Why would he instruct her that if she was unable to obey him? Why would Peter quote Leviticus and instruct us, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Why would he write it if it wasn't the standard we were able to meet? Again, let me just clarify. I am not saying these things to beat you over the head with me. I am certainly not standing here pretending that I'm better than you and that I can tell you how to live a perfect life. No human being will ever be perfect. Jesus was the only perfect man, and I'm definitely not talking about a works type of salvation where you are saved but you have to fix yourself or when we have to become self-righteous, legalistic, fun-suckers who make Christian, Christianity look like torture. But what I am saying is that sometimes there are things that we do, things that we say, things that we think, that aren't just unhelpful in our lives, but are actually simple. To be mentioned last week, a loving Father doesn't want us to live A less than kind of life. Even if it can be painful and unpleasant to have him point those things out to our life and fix them for us. I asked the Lord to help me to explain this better because I know that it could come across as an unloving message to you this morning. And when I asked him how to do it better, he showed me a picture of Roger Federer. Do you know that this man? arguably the finest tennis player of all time, holder of 103 singles titles, including 20 Grand and victories. He has a coach. Think about it, a guy who can probably literally serve aces in his sleep, still pays somebody to tell him when to practice, how to improve his game, and how best to approach each opponent. Why would he need a coach? and it helps to have help someone point them out to us and show us how we can do better. Because sometimes we don't even know we have weak areas and we just think the game is really hard and it just has to be hard the And sometimes we think we really messed up on the court and then it's great to have someone in our corner to encourage us and remind us that just because you lose one match doesn't mean you just want to fight for the school. to do for us today. You either had a really great 2019 or a really crummy 2019. But either way, you're in 2020. It's year life is already happening. And I believe that we need the coach to help us not to repeat last year's mistakes and to prepare us for the battles that are going to be coming this year. The good news, is that we don't need to go higher in coach. We already have a perfect coach in Jesus Christ, our spending And so that's why my title for today isn't New Year's Resolutions. It's Course Correction. And I hope I pray that you'll be encouraged today to do just that. If you're feeling any nudges or tights or maybe it's a kick in the pants to do something that there's something that you need to recenter or realign, things that you've been doing that have taken you off track, that today you would allow the coach to help you get back to where he wants your life to be. Better. In Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will God is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul's talking about course correction. My life isn't necessarily, I'm sorry to tell you, meant to go where I it to. My life doesn't always go where it's easy or convenient to go. And I've decided this year, that I'm going to keep following the path of these resistance. I don't want to turn around at the end of another year, and see that the way I live, and the way that I speak, are indistinguishable from the way the live. Again, there is always, and mercy if we sin and mess up, because we know we will. But I'm asking myself, what if I just don't sin in this place? Paul says in those verses that my life is meant to be pleasing to the Lord, and that the way to do that is to conform my life so that it aligns with God's will. I'm going to give you some specific coaching tips. If you have your Bibles, you can turn it into Galatians 5. I'm going to read quite a long section on Galatians 5, starting in verse 32. 5 starting in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Take a risk and be quite vulnerable here and you doesn't know that I'm to share this. This past week, him and I, here is my husband for those of you don't know, we have been stepping in each other. We were not like, you know those irritating little dogs that just keep running around and around your ankles, yapping, and nipping any chance they get. Not about anything major. I don't think we need couples constantly, we're all right, <laughs> Just little things, like, shop, came with the software that you needed, and here I am learning on flying. <laughs> then on another the day, I got crossed because he was sleeping late, and I thought he should get up and help me get the house reading because we had people coming over for lunch. And he got crossed because, you know, that all once like squiring is a continual drip in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing very serious, right? And so other thoughts started creeping in. Like, if she was actually a decent one, she'd just keep me sleeping. Or I bet the other husbands in church jump out of bed and clean the house for their wives. (laughs) (laughs) It's just my husband. because they didn't wash a frying pan. devouring and biting each other. It did turn into sin. And so we prayed together, and Bjorn took the devil out so many years ago. It was like, you know, that scene in the morning where it was and froze the devil out. And I love that shit. And that thing. It, it was like that. It was awesome. I share it just to show you how quickly and easily we can get more this. And I believe that we do ourselves and our Christian friends a disservice if we just talk generically about things that are helpful in our lives. When actually, we need to name that thing, we need to drag it out into the light and we need to stomp on it. Because something that is just fraught. Or something that is unhelpful quickly turns fruit in our lives if we leave it alone. In fact, before the Lord told me to call this course correction, the title of my preach was going to be Stop It. I love this testimony very, very well. When they first told me I needed reading glasses, I scoffed. Obviously, I wouldn't know if I wasn't seeing clearly, but that was the thing. I was so used to straining, only to see a distorted image that I thought it was half been looked. Then I got my glasses, and whilst it was blurry and I got a headache when I wore them, I would take them off for a break. Clear vision was so foreign to me that it sometimes hurt and looked weird. But then my eyes began to appreciate the glasses and stop straining and the world was more clear than I realised is much like that. Without it, I adjust to my sin and the fractured world around me. And when it reveals how broken my point of view is, it hurts, and I want to close my eyes. But then, then I see clearly, and I receive his grace and let go of trying to earn his favor, and instead that points deeper to him, and I see joy and hope and peace I never realized was possible. Let's go back to Galatians, and we we'll continue from verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the incredible. flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the, the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you will know not to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexually Immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the love. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. and we think alike. We're get to you in a with he doesn't just say, stop doing naughty things. And then leave it up to you to decide if the thing you're doing is yours or not. Your life. Paul names names. And so I thought this would be a good moment for some honest self-evaluation. If any of these things are going on in your life, let today be the day that you stop. And so I am going to just break down the things that Paul mentioned: sexual immorality. That includes sleeping together before you marry. Having an affair after you're married or with a married person or viewing pornography. Impurity. That's things like swearing. And yes, it does still matter in twenty twenty. Watching movies that you'd be embarrassed to watch if you're in a long of business in out life. or listening to music or jokes that you wouldn't be able to make in church. Divorcery is defined as excessive indulgence in sex, alcohol, or drugs. Idolatry and witchcraft. I know this may open a can of words, but I'm going to say, be very careful about getting involved in things like yoga, praying to the angels, or secret magical codes hidden in the world. You'd be surprised how many Christians get caught up in this kind of people, And then Paul mentions hatred anger, dissensions and factions. I want you to be careful of how quickly and easily these things can creep into your thoughts and your words. You don't think you're doing it, but if you have a relationship where you are always fighting, or where one of you isn't talking to the other person, his past followers, because scripture tells us that the world will know that we follow Christ if they witness our love for each other. Do you remember in Romans 12 where Paul said, don't conform to the ways of the world? That's that list of ideas things that I just mentioned. And he urges us to transform and renew our minds. So in the back in Galatians 5, he tells us how to do that. Reading from verse 22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and leaving each other. Our lives, as Christ followers are producing fruit. Our fruit is our actions, our words and our attitudes that are displayed to the people around us. The trick is that we are either producing worldly fruit which tastes like Brussels sprouts, quinoa, and kale. Or we're producing fruits of the spirit, which tastes like strawberries, and negative beans, and not plums. And Paul shows us that it's a two-part task to produce the fruit that tastes good. Fruit that pleases the Father, and attracts the world to him. Paul says, we live by the Spirit. The Spirit enables us to know what is right and empowers us to do good because we can't manufacture peace and joy and patience on our own. But he says we ought to keep in step with the Spirit. Stephen preached so well on this once where he said that he used the example of the spirit of the person walking next to us, and he said we could start walking with that person and then we get all distracted by doing this and this and this and this, and when we look up, that person is way down there and we've been left behind. And I don't want us to do that with the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to think in with Him, Because I can have, and as a class follower I do have, of the Holy Spirit's power and healing living in me. And I can still choose to snap at the, the slow tether that is in me. I can still swear like a soldier when I drop a book on my I can still complain about how wet and muddy it is when I just pray to the Lord for rain. I am made alive by the Holy Spirit living in me. I must decide to stay in step with Him. And so this is why I started talking of my New Year's resolutions. We can mock them, say they're a waste of time. But the very fact that we thought about making them shows that we know something isn't functioning at 100% in our lives. And I know, and I'm sure you know from past experience, that if you don't make a plan with that thing, it's still totally going to be functioning at 100% by the end of this year. The big secret is that the Abundant Life is contained in keeping God's commandments in tandem with the grace that he supplies to do it. Are our lives aligned? Are we reaping the rewards of following God's way of life? Only when we regulate our lives according to God's commandments and learn to focus on Jesus will we begin to realise what Jesus really means. In the promise of trying to take this team. Can quickly give you one more coaching picture? And I hope I'll help you understand what I'm trying to say today. In my second or third year of teaching, there was a little girl called Pearl in my annual eleven the mid She should have be been my captain. She had such natural talent, an ability to read the game like I uh, haven't seen in the She could pass the ball into a gap where she knew the player would be in the next split second. She had rock solid footwork and she had the most adorable smile that she wanted to hug her in that government extension. But she had one major fault. She defended, shall we say, aggressively. I lost track of how many times I had to take her off the court at half time because of how many obstruction penalties she given away to me. team. Was she a good player? Yes. Was she an asset to the team? Yes. Should I have ignored that one hole in her game in the name of love? No. Only a really bad coach would have left her with that flaw in her game. In the next year when she reached under 12, no coach would have picked because that's the first thing that they're going to see in the play style. I want to read Romans 6, verses 1 to 6, if you want to turn there in your Bible style. And I'm almost done with that. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Or aren't you aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with life this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. We know that our own self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be saved to sin. For anyone who has died has been freed from sin." Whenever you talk about grace, it's almost guaranteed that someone will respond with so you're saying we can just sin as much as we want, But do you see how clearly Paul answered that question? He says, certainly not. There aren't that many exclamation marks in the Bible, but he uses one here. Grace means that just as obedience does nothing to help us earn or keep eternal life, sin does nothing to cause us to lose it. But, grace does not give us a license to sin or to continue in our sin. Just as I could have had grace for the little girl in my name team and seen her value and her ability, I couldn't let her carry on breaking the rules of the game because it was unhelpful to her and harmful to the rest of the team. I have a quote from Jeremy Myers talking about this understanding of grace and sin He says, this past week I was talking to someone about grace and they objected that grace just couldn't be that simple or that easily available.
1: And I don't know what happened, but I sighed with exasperation
0: and decided to give a different answer than the one I had always given before. The man said to me, So are you saying I can just sin all I want? And I smiled and said, Yep. If that's what you want to do, go right here. I got the deer in the headlights look back from him. He started getting happy with me and tried to show that my response to him was different from what Paul said in Romans 6 verse 1, and how therefore my understanding of grace was different from that of Paul. But the more he preached at me, the more convinced I became of what I had said. Grace allows you to sin all you want, if that's what you really want. If you really understand grace, and if you really understand God, and if you really understand God's love for you, and after understanding all of this, you really want to go and sing, then be my guest. Go right ahead. Although grace teaches us to rely on ungodliness and worldly lust, grace also allows you to sin what you want, if that's what you really want. Let me put it another way. If I told my daughters that I loved them completely and that no matter what they did, I would always love them, forgive them, and be willing to die for them. And if after I told them this, one of my daughters looked at me and said, So I can just go and stick my hand in the blender and you'll still love me? I would look at her a little strangely and say, Well, yes, if that's really what you want to do, go ahead. I know that if you do, it's going to be extremely painful. I will, of course, pull your hand out of the blender and rush you to the hospital to stop the bleeding and rescue what I can of your hand, but no matter what, I will still love you and cherish you as my daughter." This is what Paul means in Romans 6 when he responds with, God forbid. He's not saying, no, you cannot sing, but rather, why would you want to sing? Sin doesn't stop God from loving us, nor does it stop God from doing everything he can to rescue us from the devastating and destructive consequences of sin. Sin definitely doesn't prove that we were never his son or daughter to begin with. No. Sin hurts us. It cuts us. It ruins us. Sin destroys our relationships, our health, our finances, our marriages our jobs, our emotions. Asking the question, so I can just go and sing all I want, simply shows that you do not fully understand the love of God, the grace of God, or even God himself. It also reveals that you do not understand the devastating and destructive consequences of sin. Asking the question, so I can just go sing all I want, reveals that you have How painful sin can be. God isn't calling us to true grace, but to the richest life possible in Jesus today. The last verse I want to share with you is Romans 7, verses 18 to 20. Paul says, and I think we could all say this I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I keep on doing the evil I do not want to do. And if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Sin is built in its It's the human condition. And that's why we need forgiveness, salvation, and all the grace that we can get. We need prayer. We need the Holy Spirit. But I hope it's clear that we can also play a part. Sometimes, we just have to stop it. To borrow Paul's picture, he says, it is sin living in me. One of the writers I read says, sin might have a home in us, but it doesn't mean we have to serve at meals do all its washing and hang over the ground control. We don't have the power to get rid it. Only Jesus can do that. But we do have the power to limit its influence over our lives. A Christian counselor said this our mental life is under a lot more conscious control than you think. People think, I have this fault and there's nothing I can do about it. But actually, it is. We don't have to keep watching the TV channel in our head. We can switch the program. We can work with the Holy Spirit in renewing our minds so that we will produce good fruit, what John called fruit worthy of repentance. As we remember Christmas that has just passed, when Jesus the Saviour came to earth so that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. May today be the day that we come fully into His light. The day that we deal with jealousy and pride and anger and self-love and any other sinful areas of our lives that are still trying to hide in the dark corners of our hearts. Today the challenge in my heart is not just to appreciate the light that has come in Jesus, but to ask God, and it's not easy, to shine that light on the parts of my heart that I actually would prefer stay shadowed. The challenge is to, instead of hiding them, ask God to help me surrender them so that he can clean them up and change me from the inside out. That's part of being holy, as He is, of abiding in Him, of dying to self. That is the way into deeper living, deeper in the abundant life that follows our desires for each and every one of us. I'm going to pray for us now. and yeah, I encourage you, as, as I have, while the Lord has been helping you prepare this us, to just say, Lord, where are the cockroaches? I don't want them living inside me anymore. And uh, if you're brave, do the same. Heavenly Father, thank you for dying for us. So that we may be identified not only with your death, but also with your resurrection and the eternal life that they guarantee guarantees for us. May we in this new year live our lives to your honour and glory. Thank you that the power of sin has been broken in us through Christ. May this become an increasing reality to each one of us as we keep the old self nailed to Christ, so that our new life in Christ may grow in grace and in knowledge of him, so that more and more may become a reality that it is not I human, but Christ lives in me. I pray that as we start this new year, we'll start it well, that through God's grace we'll become servants of obedience, and the evidence that sets us right with God, with each other, and with ourselves. Father, I pray that you help us decide daily whose servant we are. And through the power of your Holy Spirit empower us to offer the Lord our hands, our feet, our hearts, our mouths, and our eyes, so that we may serve him well, and bring honor to his name, through the freetown lines of Jesus. I know that this may have been a challenging way for some people today. Lord, I pray that only words from you will be delivered. I pray that instead of condemnation and shame, everyone here will know your grace and your love more fully through this message today. In Psalm 119, Seeing in the this picture God's grace as the gate of the Lord. Through this gate of righteousness, we can enter into fellowship with God. Lord, the promise of your absolute forgiveness is truly wonderful. We should rejoice in it and be glad. And so, Father, I pray that for each person here, they will fully appreciate your grace. And I pray for each of us that our lives will reflect our realisation of the glory and wonder of being saved by such a kind King. I encourage you that if you have realised that the areas of your life that you are struggling in, or just to approaches that you are acknowledging and want to stomp on today and you need somebody just to help you to talk through it, to pray with you, and definitely if you realise that you are actually not a Christ follower yet, that you have never accepted Him as your Lord and Saviour, Please don't leave here without talking to somebody. You just to not leave with any of the old can I say baggage and garbage that you carry with. There'll be some of the leaders in the church who will be up front and will wait here on the front few seats. Please come and chat to some of the we'll leave If there's any way that we can help you, or will pray with you. And so, Lord, we we'll just thank you for your word. We thank you that even when it cuts us, it's because we needed it. But you discipline us out of love. And that is the best kind of father that we could have. And so I thank you for your words. And I pray for your grace and your love to just fall on every single person and parents. Like soft soaking rain. May they know you are abundant love and will abide in the Lord's in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.